0: One thing I have noticed that someone pointed out to me is that we've done like 20 episodes where we haven't introduced ourselves at all. And some people don't know who's who. <laughs> so my friend from school was just like, I only know it's you because
1: I know your voice. And I was like, oh, yeah, maybe we should try it. Okay. Gin Just in case you didn't know who we are. I'm Tempest. I'll laugh a lot. It might get annoying. Sorry, I've tried to stop. <laughs> and I'm Lolo,
0: and I occasionally make pure jokes and make Tempest feel uncomfortable. Mm,
1: mm, it's lovely. It
0: is. It's pure love, if anything. Indeed. <laughs> Ginsalt.
1: I didn't write one. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Gin salt My notes are now non existent. <laughs>
0: My notes are me scribbling my pen as I'm waiting for you to start the meeting, being like, oh, shit, I should really write some notes of what this actually is about. And then having the same discussion in my head that I had with you, like, did we agree on a topic or are we just going to blindly go for something and hope something falls out of our
1: mouth? Yay, that one. Yeah, nah. that's absolutely fine. Well, this one's going to be a roller coaster. Today, dears, we're going to tackle a topic that we've been asked for many times. Yes, Lolo's mouthed have we, which doesn't work on a podcast. <laughs> I
0: didn't want to say it and interrupt you. I'm trying to be more cautious. Why? Because I'm in such a good mood. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's, it's like walking on solid ground. That's what it is. Good. Yeah. Good. I can't wait well, for the rest of it.
1: This... It's certainly not like tiny shards of ice under our feet. Not, so <laughs> Not at all. We're fine. It's great. Well, I feel like having been in the industry for a long time, all of the emotive topics of this probably don't affect us because I suspect we'll end up focusing on a lot of entry to the industry barriers, maybe? Could do. Anyway, let's introduce the topic and then we can work out how we're going to get upset about it. <laughs> <laughs> Today we've Capitalism! Capitalism. <laughs> Oh, so glad I've got a really quiet week. i just spend the whole of my days just remembering every tiny little thing I haven't done yet. Anyway, uh, today we for as I said, we'd, topic, we'd, topic, <laughs> we'd cover a topic that we have been asked for a few times. Maybe I over-exaggerated, but it's an unusual one. But I do think it's fascinating. I do think it has the potential to be fascinating if I can certainly get my shit together. And that is the economics of burlesque. So, what does that mean? I hear you silently ask in the future. Next week. Next week. <laughs> when we release this episode. Exactly. And the answer, dear listeners, is we're going to work it out as we go. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I was always interested when we talk about the economics of burlesque, because for me, that's a massive, massive topic. And I'm kind of like the idea that you want to hem it in for entrance into the industry, because that crux between spending money and earning money as the initial balance is such an interesting point my notes today are more about the like odd things that you don't realize cost you money that you have to balance out oh that's good and and (laughs) funneling
1: it's my favorite (laughs) funneling what (laughs) oh god um no let's let's I we can get through it all in an hour or so Let's do it. Let's kick off. My favorite thing is receiving emails at House of Belesque or hearing in conversation, oh, Burlesque, that looks so much fun. Yeah, I'd love to do that, earn a bit of extra money on the side. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> mm. I always find it really
0: interesting, this idea that it's a side hustle. Mm. It's the same with a lot of jobs and a lot of small businessy things where people turn hobbies into businesses and they think it's just going to make money and don't realize the investment not only
1: financially but the sheer amount of time just so much time why do you think people think burlesque is a good way to earn money do they think it's about all art forms or is this a burlesque thing i think it's a burlesque thing and i'm actually going to say that i also think it's to do with the
0: misconception that burlesque is like stripping in a sense is and the same mentality that people have about stripping and just assume uh, anything along bodies on stage just assume that it's easy and we just get money thrown at us. It's that kind of idea that shake what your mama gave you and make money on the side sort of thing where the honest balls to the wall truth in that any industry that involves you as a human on stage is fucking hard work. <laughs> the other thing referring to last week is that people think it's easy, therefore it must just be financially viable. yeah. And also, if people honestly think, if I can walk off stage and people ask me what shop I bought my costume (laughs) from, there are people who think my job is as easy as going to a shop, buying a costume and walking on stage. Yeah. So let's go into it. (laughs)
1: Let's go into the real nitty gritty of how this all goes down. I love the fact that the Venn diagram of a person who says that and the person who thinks that burlesque is Dita Von Teese is a circle. <laughs> and I just wonder, I mean, even if we bought those clothes in a shop, how much do you think they cost, sweetheart? <laughs> like, Yeah. You think that this is stockings, corsets, feather boa, ball gown, all of that shit. Matching shoes. Covered in Swarovski crystals. Yeah, Louboutins, Jimmy shoes, whatever. Where, where do you think that money comes from? <laughs> I mean, by your definition, our costumes are even more expensive than they often are because we learn how to do them. You know, we learn how to pirate ship them when we start, particularly. So, but I think we're going to add another one into that diagram
0: that that cycle of what the fuck is also the same person who can't differentiate the difference between like a plastic bone corset on a eBay store and what we wear on stage. They see it in the same sort of category. Yeah, that's fair. Which is an eye for detail and creativity that we have that, that that some people don't necessarily have ready to go. Don't know how to save that without sounding like a dick, so aren't we, Pop? No, no, no I
1: get the of corset is a corset, and they've got no sense of this corset cost 30 quid from a fancy dress shop, and this is a custom-made, panelled, proper material, fitted, bespoke piece of artistry that probably cost between... 300 and a thousand pounds plus 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 depending on what decorations are on it
0: yeah 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 yeah. no that's a fair point yeah i so i think it's just this kind of weird cycle of just it's just in this idea that it's easy It's all in this, like, fucking circle. Oh, you just grab a costume, you just walk on stage, it gives you money. Oh, you just grab a costume, you walk on stage, it gives you money. It goes round and round and round, like a horror story. Do you know what it is? It's the fucking ring from the film.
1: (laughs) I suppose it's in there, we've also, we don't own our own costumes.
0: Oh, lol, that someone provides them for
1: us. Oh, God. Someone provides them for us. And then I wonder if there's also a crossover again with this whole, like, they sort of view it in the same arena as stripping and related to jobs so we get bought them oh oh wait 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 is it because I'm gonna blame the film the film
0: (laughs) this idea that you like work in a club and you get dressed you get choreographed you get backing dancers you get given all these things so you're not even buying them so someone sees your potential and all they want is for you Tempest you Tempest
1: to see their potential
0: and pay for everything
1: oh my god yeah pretty much um, I think those attitudes were around before the film, but if you were already inclined to think that way, then the film didn't help with that aspect of it. That's, again, we've laughed about this before. The times I get emails sort of being like, I'd love to come and work in your costume department. Well, I'd love a costume department, so I guess we, we both want things we can't have.
0: <laughs> oh, I love the <laughs> Can idea. I come down
1: and look at your costumes? Sure, if you want to root around in my suitcase and pull out a thong that I haven't washed for five years, be my guest. <laughs> <But> <laughs> oh, wait, 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 wait. Is Trixie mm. over today? I um, she's over late. yeah um, I for once have a costume mistress bless her I don't know what she's quite in the mood for I think we thought that there was much more group costuming coming in so dear listeners Trixie Kicks is going to be our wardrobe mistress uh, <laughs> thanks Arts Council for to get everything COVID ready and safe for bridge because if I have to add another thing to my to-do list I'll have a nerves breakdown so hence that's what we're referring to and then when we did our rehearsal yesterday I was like oh it's not that much group stuff god do you think I could just get Trixie to tidy up my spare room I do actually now have a costume room but that's a luxury beyond most people so (laughs) that's not to be taken as the standard of what burlesque performers all have at all I was like do you think she could just come and clean my room and I'm hoping that she's anal enough to want to do that
0: she definitely will she loves organizing she will do the whole tap and clean you know she loves that Oh, she'll, yeah. She'll lose her fucking mind. Also, you're at a different level to a lot of us where, like, you have a spare room specifically for costume, but you've got multiple costume group acts. You've got a whole company to run. You're at a completely different scale than the rest of us. Like, Demi was, like, yesterday rehearsals, like, are you, are you doing this many rehearsals with your crew for lads? I was like, no. I know yours is also at Arts Council, but it's also, you've just been doing it a lot longer.
1: Yeah, I've what? Well, well, I can't speak for your show and you do have more production elements to it. Demi's producing a show that is A selection of solos with a couple of group bits It's very different I was thinking about this last night and her comment We've been working on elements of this show Since 2017 Yeah it's a different ballgame because yeah, the elements have been around longer and we're much used to working as an ensemble on a bigger scale.
0: Yeah, no, I completely appreciate that. And it's even that's something to really state in the economics of burlesque that is like what you build up over time makes it so much easier. The initial costs can be really daunting and being very cautious about that. Being weirdly reckless and cautious at the same time with it is quite important, I think.
1: I don't know, but we'll get yeah, into it. Yeah, it's an odd combination. So given the expectation of what burlesque costuming is supposed to look like, our audience's expectations, and particularly now the industry is so much more developed than certainly when I started, and you know it moved so quickly when you started, which isn't many years, which isn't many, many years after me. What, four years, five years? 2012? Five years. The economics of burlesque are, comes into play for newcomers in that when you're starting with nothing or from scratch you have a lot of outlays and how you work with that I guess and whether that how that works in terms of class access for example to the industry Mm -hmm. uh, financial availability all of that is interesting oh
0: it's super interesting I think the entry level into the industry has just gotten so much harder I say this a lot to your students (laughs) mainly your students that I don't know how I would even begin now And looking at the level that people are expected to enter on is just terrifying. I'm grateful that there's pressure to be good because I think that stimulates good art and good work. That, not competition, but like gentle rivalry where you see the game and you play it and push the rules and break the rules and do all the things and learn to be unique on your own terms. Yeah, that's one. But yeah, looking at so many performers who want to get in at the moment, I just it looks like an absolute different ball game. So I think maybe a lot of the advice or the lot of the discussion I'm gonna have today is might even be outdated.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. I think it's really interesting to detangle that and an issue you've brought up, I guess, is it's also hard for us having passed through that to well we can never know what it feels like starting at that end of the industry we can only kind of guess what it must be like and relate it to when we started there's different pressure points in our industry for that it's not just what we're internally doing ourselves of course which i know you already know but you know for our listeners it's worth bearing in mind you know, burlesque has changed a lot because nightlife in london particularly has changed a lot one of the big drivers on the industry is the fact that so many smaller clubs can't function they're not viable they can't stay open due to whether it's licensing or it's to do with lack of availability of suitable premises a, a whole big complicated ball game which you can read much about should you wish and you should the killing off of nightlife often to sell off land for real estate and other such things and yeah. the council's reluctance to grant evening licenses for small clubs and for it to even be affordable and that's all tied up with a state of policing and all of that kind of thing if there are only clubs <laughs> not lolo's nodding sagely
0: i'm just really enjoying it i'm like <laughs> fuck the economics of Bola let's do the economics of nightlife this We probably so should. Good. we really actually do you know I what would love rich, to.
1: yeah rich write it down when we maybe in the new year when we've got some time to do some research because I would personally like to just double check my sources on a few things that I oh, read a please. while ago too. And, and we should because the death of nightlife is kind of a silent thing that was going on before the pandemic and has been yep. massively exacerbated since and it's a real tragedy because nightlife is the source of so much counterculture and subculture and humanity that goes on to create a amazing art and without it all of that stagnates and dies yeah. and the very real immediate impact that that's had on burlesque is that you know you graduate there are one or two competition shows or it's the hippodrome casino stage or was pre-magic mike or you know Wonderbelly, or we're at the bridge and it means that you've got to go from 20 percent to competing with people who've been doing it for years and years and years who will have had time to build up the expensive elements as well as the stage elements of their craft but we must make sure that there's a ladder as much as we can because even if you could afford to compete with us on the shiny elements of it that's needed to go on those stages you don't have the skills and a technique for it yet because they take experience to build up but if we don't allow new performers to build up that experience our industry stagnates and dies that's my rant
0: this is a really good round thanks I feel like I don't really want to contribute. I feel like we should end the podcast there and be like, goodbye. (laughs) (laughs) What she said a million times over, that was really, really beautifully put. Thanks. Absolutely wonderful. And the amount of times that you fall in love with an area, just the general thing that really bugs me is people move into the area because it's cool and then shut everything down because they don't like the noise. (laughs) It's noisy. I don't like it. Yeah. We're creatures of the night. If we do not have homes, we die. And for some reason, uh, some of you like brunch gigs, but not...
1: Not actually Let's not talk about Brunch gigs (laughs) I enjoy it Because it is what it is And I like the people Yeah I think it's great That we See cabaret and burlesque Pop up in venues That see it as a Commercial draw For their audiences And the knock-on effect of that is their audiences might then go and seek out different types of cabaret and that is the entryway to the industry. But in terms of artistic expression, it's not putting anything into the industry because everything is kind of, it's like Saturday night telly. You know, it's not not there to be smart. It's not there to be experimental. It's not there to be inventive. It's there to give you exactly what you arrived for for Joe Public. um, And that's never going to further art. Although the one thing I guess it also does since we're talking about the economics of burlesque is it gives people regular paying work, which hopefully, but only if it's the avenue available for it, they can use to plow into their quote unquote more artistic work.
0: Nothing to add. Congratulations. Finished sentence. Why are you here? <laughs> I'm really sorry. You're going on rants without me. Just like you just, you just not even putting on your helmet on. You jump on the bike and you're off you go. And I'm just sitting here going, I agree with every single thing you say. <laughs> and I have nothing to contribute apart from yes,
1: I agree, because you've left nothing unsaid. I'm sorry. It's all right. You just fill all the holes. It's I've fine. just turned the conversation I didn't think I had much to say on round to some very well-worn rants that I have. It's <laughs> fine. Don't worry. Wait until we get into the actual proper headiness
0: of this and we get back to our true, authentic selves of anti-capitalist. Anti-capitalist! <laughs>
1: but also secretly a little bit capitalist as well. Um <laughs> <laughs> the, the Capitalist Anti-Capitalist Podcast. Buy, buy <laughs> tickets to <for> our show. <laughs> Kappa Lipstick. Hey. See, you have contributions. <laughs>
0: Bad puns. So,
1: when you're starting out at burlesque,
0: what's the first sort of things that you need to think about? Tempest? What do I need to think about? <laughs> yeah, so you're just starting burlesque. You are a baby performer. You've fallen out of the womb of the burlesque goddess. And you are sitting on the floor crying like a burly baby. Rhinestones! 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 And you don't know where to go. You, your mother's teat is no longer available. It's just
1: you. What's the first thing you do? Um, well, I'm the nurse that comes along and slaps you. <laughs> 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 For your own good. It's a tough one. I suppose then you're sitting there and you're thinking, art bookings. Art bookings, art bookings. You need money to make money for most people. I'm going to use this point to insert another bugbear I have (laughs) or little rant. (laughs) Ginsol, framing the conversation I prefer. Oh, wait, should I just go get another coffee and I'll be back in like five minutes? No, I'm interested in your perspective on this. It really gets a bit on my nerves when I hear people talk about burlesque as if it is a money-making hustle. With the whole, like, do this, oh, you make money, M- money, do that, and no, you make money. If you create that type of act, you make money, you'll get booking, you'll make money. All right, you're supposed to be making art, motherfucker. Am I the only person who remembers this? This isn't something that you go into for money. If you go into this for money, then I don't mean to be rude, but You may really need to rethink your uh, understanding of how the industry works and how the world works. You need to
0: rethink your understanding of money. Yeah. Because if it's having it, this is not the place to be.
1: Yeah. If you mean money watching it go past you in the room.
0: If you mean money by when you're dancing on a stage and you watch a bottle that is triple your fee go to someone in the front row, then yeah. (laughs) Wrong industry god oh god every time that used to happen it used to make my blood boil <laughs> right so i agree but i also know that your opinion is a little bit hypocritical in the sense that i'm not disagreeing i just know that we both have created acts which work specifically for a money rent gig environment we created it alongside because obviously like you said earlier with your second run or third run, i can't remember which one 12th. But like how the your, how gigs that don't necessarily push the audience's mind might push the artist to have financial support in order to create more work. That cycle doesn't always necessarily work. Sometimes that just funds the artist to create the same kind of work and they end up in the same kind of cycle, which is very, very unstable and very dangerous because trends end faster in this industry than you will ever know. And so we do create stuff. And as a sideshow performer, in particular, next to Burlesque, I have to have certain types of acts that are ready to go, like a circusy looking one, Mm -hmm. Alice in Wonderland, and a dark, sultry one. Those seem to be the three sort of things that you need to have in your repertoire ready to go. So it's like balancing that out alongside it. So I do agree with what you're saying in terms of the purpose of yourself in the industry, the reason you're in it. It should be a self-expression and to create and to express your artistic creativity in way that's true and authentic, but at the same time, you do have to be a little bit realistic and know that some people who are booking you aren't necessarily super duper creative.
1: Jinzal, when are and only when I try and create conflict, but we do agree. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think there's a difference between what the two of us are saying. You bring up an interesting point, which if you do this professionally, you have to factor in alongside what mm. you're doing, which is y- you do need to get paid because <laughs> some of us like to eat and have the heating on and live places. <laughs> Eating, I know, it's it's luxury times over here. (laughs) We're living a wild life. So uh, you have to create work that is bookable. Your rent work, same as when I was talking about rent shows earlier. Absolutely. But I think there's a difference between we make those acts that we can do so we get paid for them, so we can do the other thing that's why we're doing this. But if you're doing this rent gig only – I don't even necessarily judge those people. I just think they must find the industry a bit more boring than we do. Like I can't imagine li- being in this industry without the desire to create in the way that, y- that you and I do and the problems and solving those problems and putting something onto the stage that we feel means something and that moves the industry. I don't necessarily judge people who are just like, ah, just like dancing to feeling good in this expensive outfit and i charge charged this much for it and that's what I do. There'll always be people like that. I guess I resent when people talk that way around new performers as if all of the industry's like that because if the whole industry was like that we wouldn't have gone anywhere
0: Mm. yeah so i had the same bugbearer with the corporate cycle where performers who do not work in the cabaret industry or they work in specifically corporate entertainment because the fees are high sometimes and they can charge a certain amount but they're not creating anything new because they're just funding this kind of idea of what art is which is background
1: Mm. And
0: that's really sad sometimes, especially when they are incredibly skilled. I see some amazing skilled uh, circus artists and it's almost like there is somewhere I know where you'll be appreciated. Come with me. But they don't because there's no money where I go.
1: <laughs> so they're like, yeah. Yeah, fuck you. You'll 20 pounds. <laughs> Got 40 quid and a nipple. What do you want to do? <laughs> you'll get tequila. <laughs> you'll get tequila as you walk off the stage. How does that feel? <laughs>
0: you get scraps of what the audience haven't eaten
1: yay <laughs> yay <laughs> you'll get to change in the corridor with all of the chef's walkthrough of the bins <laughs> yeah you have to step over bin juice as you walk onto stage yeah and shoes that you spent hours and hours and hours of your life lovingly crystalling as your costume just passes through a trail oh god of <laughs> what bin juice puddle oh This reminds me of when I started in the industry in 1865 (laughs) and we had a separation of art and money, i.e. you had cabaret and you had corporate. And the reason that those two could flourish and corporate meant something in a way that it doesn't really in burlesque, I don't think anymore, was because this is the time when burlesque was like super fashionable underground and was like just creeping out into the media. So burlesque was what drag is now going through now, which is like everyone wants to write about it. Everyone wants to talk about it. Everybody wants it at their party because it's like the latest, most fashionable thing to have. And so you could do private bookings and corporate bookings and earn proper money, For dancing around with your fans to feeling good and cabaret you didn't do for money you did for art and that was where all the experimentation happened and interesting stuff and it was gritty and people tried things out and people did stuff that was weird and pushed boundaries and that's what gave the fuel for the art form to move forward not the corporate work and when all of that corporate work kind of died out and, and burlesque moved out of its cycle of fashion a lot of that attitude moved into the cabaret circuit. And I do think it killed a lot of the cabaret vibe because all of a sudden, all of that kind of safe, generic work came into cabaret. As cabaret became more mainstream as well, you know there were lots of factors contributing to this, and and secondly to this idea of if I can't earn money from corporate, I have to earn it from somewhere else. And then it's like cabaret should be paying this much. These are the fees, and a lot of the fees that I think we went through a period, not so much now, but maybe a few years ago, where performers were demanding fees that just weren't sustainable in a cabaret environment. And because they didn't own venues and they didn't put on shows, they didn't really understand that most venues can't pay you two hundred pounds for a gig. Well, they can pay two of you two hundred pounds for a gig, but they can't pay more of you and it had a real knock-on effect on that part of the industry
0: yes no definitely and i do feel there is so much less space for experimentation with that also came like a flattening of fees in general people wanted to charge more like you say people expecting 200 for a show in venues that can't do that and totally understand and appreciate all those things but what I have noticed is with inflation and everything, performance fees haven't changed over the last 10 years that I've been in it. And that's what distresses that kind of side of performance as well, I think, because it's hard to push for new stuff when it's not when it's not economically viable.
1: When you say new stuff, do you mean new content or?
0: Yeah, new content, new acts. Mm. Bearing all that in mind and the experimentation of it, when beginners go into the industry, where do you think a good place to start is on the very literal sense of spending money do you think it's costuming do you think it is training do you think it is seeing shows things like that
1: oh it's a good question i will answer it can i just add another soundbite into the thing that we just discussed which you put in my mind when we talked about fees going up which i think is interesting but we'll maybe we'll leave that one for another time but it did it just adds the end of my thought the other thing that happened due to I think the stagnation of the industry due to the losing of a lot of that top level work that was around for a while is that performers when we got to like, where we are is where we are like this is our industry and we might get to go on and do some other things. But in terms of career progression this is pretty much it so what happens now rather than potentially people kind of move through the industry onto things that hopefully pay more and are bigger if you're on that career path you stay within the field of cabaret but you expect that to move with you that makes sense all of a sudden you've got people in cabaret who have been there for years and years and years and years and years who are then demanding the fees to move with that level of experience and expertise that they're bringing and again there's nothing wrong with that in essence because we have incredibly experienced polished expensive years of training cabaret acts going on in cabaret clubs but the economics of nightlife industry doesn't move just because we move if that makes sense And, and some of the things that we would have gone on to which would have supplemented the fees that would have made all of this viable for us aren't really there anymore.
0: Yeah, so this is, to steal a phrase from other people, it's a glass ceiling. This is something that I'm noticing. So when you reach a higher level of greater performance skill and stuff like that, your fees don't go up. You just get more tired because you just have to fit in more gigs in the night because they're more available to you because you're slightly more in demand, which is great. But it doesn't mean that you do less work for more money there seems to be very little climbing room and I feel that a lot with working and payment wise and I was feeling it a lot over the last couple of years working in burlesque where I couldn't financially kind of get a work-life balance or a grip that meant I was progressing past the same fee that I entered on and even though those fees are totally understandable and completely amazing the time that was being demanded of me was so much more and becoming increasingly stressful. So like producing shows and moving into other avenues around performance in order to create more fingers and pies, not just because I enjoy them, but because it's the only financial viable option for me. Being a full-time solo performer from now on in my life is no longer financially viable to me unless all of a sudden I hit the big time and rake in thousands of pounds per show, which is not going to happen. This sounds really sad as I'm saying it because it kind of dampens a lot of my dreams of it but it doesn't dampen my love for it it just means that i i I think i have a very pessimistic view about the cabaret industry at the moment and surviving in it if performance is your job which inherently also makes it really bad because even though i'm not supplementing it now with more performances so i'm not working till one two three o'clock in the morning pre-pandemic of course. It does mean that I am now working full days before I go to work. So all I've done is just shift the work to the other side of the working hour. Welcome to my world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I,
1: I don't doubt that for a second. I know that you work extremely, extremely hard. No, I'm just being funny. But yeah, you're now doing much more of what I do. I.e. You're balancing performing and producing. And what you end up is you're doing two jobs. You've got your office. You produce your bulk of your producer, you but you still have to go to work in the evening regardless of whether you're performing and producing and you're doing the same time. So yeah, you're running two time zones. You're working all day doing one type of thing and you're working most of the evening doing another type of thing. Oh yeah, it's pretty interesting. Two points I was going to say to yours. One, one is a point and one is a question. Our glow up or our moving on is into theatre, which is incredible in lots of ways because those are the spaces interested in what we do. And, you know, I did have a moment this week, where I was like, fuck me, but a global pandemic, how wonderful is it to finish the year? Touch wood on the bridge theatre stage. I would never have had this opportunity as an actor, had I stayed in acting, you know, sitting in tech with seven technicians waiting to build my show, building lights, building projections, building soundscapes.
0: Big fireball at nine
1: o'clock in the morning. Yeah, it was great. I had to get up at seven for that, Joy. Um, (laughs) As did you, it's not the world we function in. And uh, you know, and and that's incredible, but theatre doesn't have any more money than Cabaret does necessarily not even slightly o- often i feel that it has less having toured in theatre before with a burlesque show uh, and then worked in kind of more i guess circusy type cabaret spaces which can be big and shiny mm. so i'm interested though because i was where you were talking i was scanning back through my memory banks even though there was a potential to earn more earlier on during kind of the the blossoming of burlesque I still don't really know any burlesque performers who sustained a decent level of living just by being a performer. I don't think that's changed that much.
0: No, appreciate that entirely. I don't, I don't disagree with that. I think this goes back down to how the arts itself, even though being a performer is a full-time job, it is a full-time job. Like, regardless of whether or not I'm not doing 12 shows a night, I'm still working the same amount I would be for that one or two shows I'm doing now the pay just doesn't reflect that in general it's just this really sad approach to life basically just because our job is of a certain kind just there is no aspiration on any fronts to fund it any further unless it is from public funding which is what we talk about a lot which creates a negative cycle (laughs) Basically,
1: there is no winning. You're all <laughs> fucked. Get out of the industry now while you can and live your life on a farm. It's, yeah, I mean, I certainly if you're looking at performing only, but performing only, sadly, even though it should be, it it's never been something that earns a significant amount of people a lot of money. And we've we've never felt that it was. And we've had this discussion when it comes to the drama school. We've done our various drama school rants whereby they specifically say to you, just so you know, you'll live a life in poverty with no friends outside of your industry. (laughs) Just, Just as long as you're cool with that. But I... Like, you know, I can't sit in my home that I own and say that producing didn't open up levels to me as a performer that meant that I could actually have a better life than I thought that I ever would be able to. So it's not easy and you will work every minute you're awake and you can't do this or what one in a million can do this just through performing. But I do think that it's not all doom and gloom.
0: No, 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 it's not. I think I'm just in a place in a pandemic where I've had a break from performing as much. I just really know how tired I was. Like, I lived on performing alone. Like, you can live on performing alone. You just, you can't put savings away.
1: Mm. Yeah. You have to work like a dog. And you have a billion skill sets as well. And that's worth noting. Like you don't just exist on burlesque alone.
0: And I learned those billion skill sets because I had a drive. The reason I learned fucking like fire is because I could earn (laughs) 10 quid more a night in the venue that I was doing it. That's it. And also because I like burning shit and I like looking cool. But. I think I'm in a place where I've had rest and my body is feeling a little bit... Mm. I'm knackered. I'm absolutely knackered from what we're doing at the moment, but I am feeling slightly refreshed from not working for gigs from Thursday night, every night through till Sunday. And this morning, I felt what it felt like to be at a show, even for quite a long period of time, what felt like for the first time in ages. My body feels knackered. And I'm just kind of realising the pessimism I do have around it about how hard I have worked and how it just doesn't show in the money. There is a realism that I think you're totally right that was that has been beaten into me from the beginning I started this. I had no intention of earning money yeah. but it's still sad. And... Saying that, I am also in a place where I'm building lots of different opportunities for myself and it's growing in as all the different ways. I'm a producer of shows and I'm curating now, which is a lot funnelling. for me is stimulating again. You've been funneling. <laughs> I've been funneling, funneling away. Uh, yeah, so it's just... <sighs> I'm trying not to be disheartened. I am positive about it. I think just when we come out of the pandemic and we're going going to go back into shows, it's just going to be a bit harder for people than it has been before and I can kind of just recognise that coming and I think maybe I'm just taking a a breath in. But what I was talking... I wanted to make a point about moving into theatre because we do see it as a step up and I think it's because theatre is like... (laughs) Theatre
1: is like old. (laughs) It's like being invited to have a drink of your dad. (laughs) Yeah. But
0: theatre's like got this weird wisdom about it like it's, it's like it's 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 embedded it's like it's a tick it's not going anywhere theater is not moving theater is theater and things that move into theater become things that stay there forever like shakespeare and shit so like when we move these things into those theatre spaces it gains the respect and the household credibility that means that it will just be like oh it's a burlesque show they won't be like a, oh ah, so it will always be risky and political sure but it won't be disregarded because you saw one burlesque performer in a basement that was shit. So now you've disregarded the entire genre. So I think there is something about the credibility of being in theater spaces because the people who run theater spaces, their voices are more important than your mine, rhinestone and encrusted voices that have worked a thousand million hours this week on a show, two shows in a week. It's just not even going to be, it's fine. I'm fine. So I think that's like there's stability in the longevity of burlesque when it moves into theatre spaces where drag is going into more fast earning quick round spaces where it's like uh, brunches and parties and stuff. But that's relatively short lived and it, it can turn on a dime. And we've seen that kind of dime turn slowly over a couple of years it's a very slow turning time but it's also fast at the same time if your entire employment relies on it so yeah I find I find that really interesting so that's what I was going to just add on to you that moving into theatre even though the money is the same if not less there is stability (laughs) is the stability and the the spaces opening up to you grow which is kind of interesting
1: yeah I think what you say about it securing a longevity of our art form is really important to reflect on mm. and whilst you were making your last point um i did kind of feel like fuck me i'm proud of our industry <laughs> like one thing i've always loved about burlesque is that it's a living art form and i've said that for years particularly when i talk in more academic spaces about burlesque like what we do isn't dictated to us from above like it is in other life performance arts theater being one of them it's completely and utterly grassroots and everything we see that happens in burlesque comes from people like you like me like our colleagues also like pushing the boundaries and seeking opportunities and fighting for inclusion of burlesque into spaces and i just thought fuck me that's impressive we took this art form out of a tiny underground clubs, straight into the media gaze, straight into all of the froor of that, like, you know, burlesque hen is the latest, most, days. yeah, all the hemp parties you can eat. Um, and then, you know, it could have dropped out again and we could have gone back to underground clubs, which we miss and love, and I hope never not have cabaret and burlesque because that is the lifeblood of our industry. But we managed to navigate it as a group of people, as an industry, into theater and spaces like theaters i think that's really impressive because i think that's like you can get your leg up you can get your break if you were an individual and that is a combination of luck and talent and hard work but the real challenge is sustaining it it's not just can you do that one opportunity can you turn that into other things and as an industry actually we think it's great to take a moment and be like yeah do you know what we fucking did we were a fad And now you can come to the Bridge Theatre, you can go down to the Underbelly, you've done Christmas in Leicester Square, we've had stuff on the Hippodrome stage before and, you know, loads of other spaces and bigger venues. And that has helped, like you say, cement the establishment of burlesque as a form of entertainment you can go and see, rather than a thing that we all got into in the late noughties, basically. And I think that's really fucking impressive, again, given that we made so much noise at our level that the people above had to give us some attention yeah and some space yeah not as much as we'd like but <laughs>
0: still that's cool it, it is cool and i think i I could totally agree about how like i'm glad i came into blesk when i did and not any later mm, yeah because that riding that wave so i came in just as it was tapering out i think Yeah, the interest on like hen parties and stuff. My first couple of years, few years, were hen parties. Don't get me wrong, we still get loads of hen parties. We miss you, Sway. Like a miss you, like a limb. Yeah. Yeah, and I never, ever, ever want to move out of those underground spaces. Like I said at the beginning of this, I just love being in Soho, and I love being there and feeling alive rather than dead. I had no point apart from to basically say everything you said and my I have made a point too. Welcome to Tempest Podcast. I'm her psychic,
1: Lolo, bra Only for, well, barely for this one, but for once. <laughs> well, a nice Christmas story. When we were at, I can't remember when it was, but I did have a point when I was in Leicester Square. I looked around and I was like... That's the Hippodrome Casino and I've produced shows there and my friends have produced shows there and my burlesque mother is the entertainment director or whatever her current title is there and that's the middle of Leicester Square and I produced Christmas in Leicester Square there. I'm going to walk a little bit further down the road, and that's the Café de Paris, where we've performed, I've produced Burlesque Brunch with Betsy Andrea, who also run the in-house entertainment there, or did at the time. Demi does the choreography for lots of those shows, and then we had done the Grosvenor Casino, and I was just like, fuck me, this is amazing. Like, this tiny little strip of theaterland history is dominated by women in burlesque. Look how far we've come. Look at those venues. Look at the city that it's in and where in the city it is. And that's just so fucking cool. And I was just like, yeah, fuck me. If you'd have told me that when I finished drama school and just, you know, all the endless grind of like looking for acting work, they're like, no, you will have worked and produced in these spaces and your friends who would have come from similar backgrounds to you, i.e. not blessed by the mainstream industry, just hard fucking graft, nailing an art form, will also have dominated this space. I just thought that was really nice.
0: I think that is really nice. And I think we should yeah spend more time celebrating that no it is impressive and i am i'm definitely certainly proud of all the things that have come out of this year despite it being shit i agree i have nothing to add congratulations you are very successful and have successful friends merry christmas
1: (laughs) well i mean i assume you're one of them you open up your gratitude diary (laughs)
0: call me a friend it's on recording yeah Uh, (laughs) that's the bit you focused
1: on being your friend is a success (laughs) anyway you asked an interesting question that i ignored to go on another topic Uh, what something about being a new performer oh what an hour ago oh where would you spend your money that's a very good question lolo brow (laughs) And it's a tough one to answer because my artistic part of me will be like, you need to spend your time on training and experience. The other stuff will come. And I guess what it really boils down to is what's, what's your long-term aim, mm. I suppose. And it's hard to know that when you start. I felt when I discovered burlesque intuitively that this was a vehicle that could change my life and I was right
0: <laughs> no it's just also this is the second time I've heard you say that because you did it yesterday in the gypsy <laughs> and I can't wait to do this sometimes I hate burlesque episode oh yeah can't wait
1: <laughs> oh I despise burlesque 99% of the time <laughs> I've told yeah. you before sometimes I think that maybe I've got it wrong and I don't like burlesque nor am I doing burlesque <laughs> I hear you. I'm with you. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. Uh, so for me, performing has always been a vocation and burlesque has always been something that suited my personality and my sense of vocation very well. So it's easier for me to play long game with it. And also, I came from acting, I expect to ever earn any money. So I don't know. I have a different set of circumstances, perhaps, to other people who get into this.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Like performing was always going to be what I did. Always, 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 always. It just so happens that burlesque is 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 me, which is nice. Mm. I feel it's really interesting to think about being a new performer right now. Because I'm like, I did an exercise last night when I couldn't sleep at three o'clock in the morning. Because I forgot what happens when you go get home till 12 and you still have adrenaline. And you just sit in bed going, cool. So I'm awake now. Can't find my cat. So I was just going to wait to hopefully until they appear because they might be dead somewhere. But no, they just slept over at someone else's house and didn't bother to call. (laughs) So I was wondering what I would do if I was a new performer now, like being like, okay, I want to be a burlesque performer. What would I do? What would be the thing I did? And I was, was like, oh, the one thing I wish I did. Because I was really stringy with my budget, like I just kind of bought stuff as cheaply as I could, made things as big as possible with as little amount as weight as possible with the little amount as money as possible, taking up as much space as physically possible on the tiniest amount of budget with the tiniest amount of kilos, and that kind of grew and developed over time, and then that just I just got better at doing that, but I was so aimless and reckless with it. So what I would say is like I wish. Past me was smart enough to have budgeted and been like, "Oh, I'm going to try and make a costume for twenty quid." Because I guaranteed I definitely did it, but I have no idea how or what I did. I didn't plan it or anything. I just kind of was really reckless and just bought loads of stuff. And people ask asked me recently online, "What made you take the dive to become a? What made you brave enough to dive into being a performer full time?" And literally, my answer was just like, "I was a fucking idiot. I had no idea. I just thought it would work." luckily enough it kind of did ish but not necessarily financially and also the other thing I was like well also if I budgeted the things that I did I would never have been as creative as I was or as stupid or the ideas that I came out of or anything would have ever hit so it's like people ask me a lot about the economics of being a new performer and where to spend your money and I'm just literally like follow your gut because that's your expression, that's your burlesque. So if your gut is telling you that you need to spend more time absorbing the industry or you need to be around the industry more, spend your money on shows, see what's around, have a look. That's really, really important. If your gut is telling you that you need to focus on creating something, then just make it. Make it for as little money as possible and see if it works. I know that's like kind of a bit inaccessible, I haven't really got any better advice
1: on with you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've written like a billion things down. I think that's so interesting. And it's really hard to put a finger on because you love a budget. My budgets are all abstract. <laughs> I'm just like, why? Well, maybe this uh, about, uh. and this whole thing, like where do you take the leap f- into full time? It's so much of this is blind faith. And it's, it's hard, I think, to, well, you can tell that to somebody, but how you explain what that is, is tricky. It's something you have to intuitively know. And I mean, I do try and say to people, look, if you, if you want to go full time, I think it's a great thing to do. But you've got to build up a reserve of cash, obviously. Like if in an ideal world, you can know that your rent and bills are paid for between three to six months when you start... Because the thing is, is that you'll get to the point where you have to dedicate your time to this full time to get where you need to go it's not possible to go from a full-time job for example with performing on the side into full-time performing you've got this dead period which is just you sat by your laptop like emailing people building up all your PR materials building up all the stuff you need and that's a full-time job so you need a buffer of a few months and you know you've got to feel when that's right and I guess that's part of you know the economics of going full-time isn't it however you find that whether that's moving back in with your parents or it's saving up money, or it's having a partner in a steady full-time job who you are in a situation whereby you are able to help each other out financially. And that is difficult economically. You can't lie about it and say that if if it's easy, if you don't have any of those safety nets, it isn't, mm. which is tricky. So my question to you is how do you differentiate between fear and gut feeling? Because I remember when I left drama school, and I was just like, oh, I just, I don't think I'm ready. I think I'm just going to spend, enough, I'm going to spend a year like working and like going to see stuff and carrying on my training. And then I think I'll be ready to like, you know, throw myself more fully into like the bigger acting roles that I want to get. And I think a lot of that was fear. It was also because I wasn't in the right industry, to be honest. And those opportunities came up in the end. But that fear versus your intuition, can you tell the difference?
0: No. <laughs> Because <laughs> I I don't I don't think I could honestly explain that I can tell the difference but I must be able to tell the difference because I've made some good decisions based on the simple fact that it's giving me an adrenaline rush and I want to ride that ride in the same way my gut I can't I can't give you an answer I'm really sorry I have no idea I think it's a no that I can't tell the difference you just when you can't tell the difference you just have to suck it and see <laughs> That's all you can do. Also, this idea that you will go full-time, when I've literally just spent half the podcast at the beginning of this, saying that going full-time will not necessarily mean that you progress anywhere financially. So you will end up being not full-time in a way that makes you feel comfortable. This isn't saying... There are performers who do go full-time and make lots of money, but they are not in the large quantities. It's like acting. There's a few. And congratulations to them. But the idea that it's full time and especially in our current economy in life, I don't think even normal people are full time jobs for anything. Like most people I know have two jobs. Yeah. As a standard. Unless they are like full time salary in tech. Fuck you guys. Or a
1: lawyer. Yeah. Unless you gone past that glass ceiling into a different type of earning. I mean when I worked as a normal person, I would always have at least a couple of jobs. <laughs> As a normal person. As my pre-burlesque life, would have worked up to three jobs and one of them would have been full-time, your traditional 40 hours a week. But that's because I was at an earning level. I wasn't qualified in anything because I was in hospitality. So um, 40 hours a week on those salaries... <laughs> isn't enough to live in london Mm-mm. not
0: not at all living in london and being a performer is a different ballgame entirely the economics of having to stay in london because it's one of the only places that can supply you with enough work to make money but at the same time is the only place in the world that will crush you financially meaning that you cannot do anything else oh, i love it oh it's <laughs> it's that is such an interesting line
1: mm. oh god i forgot about that and i didn't even write down Oh, God. Yeah, I didn't either. Why? I, I feel for me, it's drilled into me, like, you want to be a performer, you want to make this your life, you move to London. Yep. And luckily enough, I love London, Um, so I would have probably moved to London anyway, if not for as long as I've been here now, for a bit, because London for me is just, I wouldn't live anywhere else in the UK. No offense, but I think it is interesting. It's like you can live in other places, but your access to work is so much smaller. You have a balance, you'll, you have a cheaper rent, you'll have a better quality of life, but you'll work much less. And I hear a lot of resentment for people outside of London in our industry based on like how many jobs we have. And particularly during the pandemic, you know, we've been allowed to go back to work much more than other parts of the country, which I don't underestimate the soul destroying nature of watching people in your industry work when you're not being allowed to it's not even lack of opportunity it's that you're shut down completely and um, so I don't want to make light of that at all but I want to say you know we very particularly sacrifice a lot to live here it's feeding the beast it's been drilled into me from when I even started performing that if you want to be at the center of everything you suck it up and you live in London
0: also the other thing is like talking around it they're like oh living out of London and commuting in so you become a commuter person well that's all well and good and yeah you could end up having a better quality of life and things like that but one thing that I'm not ready to leave in London is this fact that it can change in a day I could have an empty day booking and then by 12 o'clock accidentally have two or three shows Mm, just out of the sheer fact that someone's texting me like oh mate can you cover this or can you do this the amount of stuff that I've just picked up because I live northeast London. Hmm. I don't know if it's necessarily paid off the fact that I live in London, but it definitely is part of the reason why I'm still here. Because I'm moving at the moment, or trying to at least. Um and every two hours of house searching, I'm like, just I'm moving out. I'm moving out to London. I'm going to Folkestone. I'm gonna live with Betsy and the baby. But then I'm like, I'm not ready to do that. It's also the fact that my partners are all in London. My life is here. I'm not ready to not be able to jump on a tube and see people that I want to see
1: yeah London for me like you say like it can change in a day I don't want to live in London forever but whilst I'm in the <laughs> stage of my career where I'm like you know things move quickly I want to be in the center of everything going on I want to step out of my door and just feel things happening in the air like London has that fucking buzz I just couldn't personally live anywhere else to do it and it has its pros and cons. Yeah. It's expensive and tiring and shit, but it's also amazing and exciting and exhilarating and the hub of what we do is here.
0: Yeah. I wouldn't be at the level that I am if I didn't live in London. It's as simple as that for me. I know it's not the case for everyone, but it's definitely for me. Um, I wanted to
1: circle back and quickly touch on... F- we'll have to wrap up soon. Just getting into our strike. warm-up now. chat's been done. <laughs> <laughs> you brought up... Full-time. Well, we were talking about full-time. And I think that there's this misunderstanding that performers who are performers full-time perform full-time, i.e., even the performers that I can think of who don't produce, for example, let's say, like you don't have very obvious other elements that they do within the industry are still doing other things. And I think people underestimate that. I don't think I know anybody whose sole source of income that they can live on is what they do on stage. And I think the most successful performers who mainly perform as solo burlesque artists have worked out how to take what they do as a burlesque artist and then monetize it in other fields. So for example, Betsy Rose um, is, I would say people would think of her as a full-time performer. I know she has Gin House, but that's maybe producing in a slightly different way. I think that's a residency, if you will, with a small group of performers in a venue. So she has that. Obviously, she has modelling. She does tons of modelling as Betsy Rose. She'll do teaching bits here and there. So she's still got the solo performer vibe, but she's worked out how to get paid through it, through different scenarios. And I think people have to bear that in mind when they're thinking about the aspiration of being a full-time performer. You have to think very seriously about how you use that vehicle to help you get paid in other scenarios and I I think people underestimate how much the full-time performers they see and they assume mainly and their money on stage are also doing whether it's teaching whether it's making stuff whether it's modeling they're all parts of being a burlesque performer but they're the parts that don't exist on stage yeah building a brand yeah just I mean, seeing a financial opportunity in the other skills that they have as well. I know performers who are also makeup artists because yeah, yeah. we have to learn to do our own makeup to the level of makeup artists. So they've just taken that and and studied it properly. I.e., you can do other people's makeup.
0: Yeah, no, I and, and, and tutorials and all sorts. Like even at the height of me performing full time, I was still doing teaching and producing shows and stuff. So technically, I've never been a full time performer.
1: Why do you think anybody has? Have they? Do you know performing? No, no,
0: no. I know. I just find that funny. <laughs> yeah, so I don't think anyone has. It's it's it comes with other other things. It's also down to the simple fact that it's inconsistent. It's just that no matter how stable we are or established you are, it's still an inconsistent income. Simply by the fact that we have seasons, February is not a friendly month to anyone. It doesn't matter how talented you are. February can be shit. So yeah, so people have always had their fingers in other pies just for the simple fact that you have to turn back to them and you have to do it. Yeah, yeah. I think that's all I've got on that one. I loved how desperate we were to try and talk about new performers and coming into the industry and stuff. But instead, we've just spent an hour
1: Ranting. I love how we haven't even touched on this whole glow up idea and like having to look like a job. See, we're going to have to come back to this one because most of what I thought we talk about, we haven't even remotely got around to. No,
0: because i I don't know. I got a feeling from you that you needed to talk about other stuff. <laughs> What's gin salt if not getting the shit off our chest?
1: <laughs> What's well, the economics of Bilesk. I suppose we've ended it up to, or I've driven us to talk about the economics of the industry rather yep. than the economics of the individual.
0: Yeah, but what we can do is we can do a glow up episode another time where it's specifically about glow ups because I'd be really interested to have that conversation because it's great. Yeah, it's a really interesting conversation. I had something really funny to add. I thought you should know. Good. Just Are we it, going to get to hear it? it?
1: Stopped. Or is it dead now?
0: <laughs> it's, it's obviously died. The last three episodes, I have not been
1: capable to do funny. It's not burlesque unless you've taken 20 pounds and made a costume that looks like 800 quid. You've definitely used that one before. And yet, I'm using it again. Gin salt! <laughs> you've heard this before, but it was ages <laughs> ago, so you can't really remember. Yeah, unless you've been watching, then thank you. <laughs> <laughs> oh
0: it's not burlesque unless you've over rhinestoned the wrong costume that only gets worn twice a year <laughs> <laughs> well we were laughing about this backstage weren't we uh, yes, like these big beautiful costumes I've got like two of my big beautiful ones I love but they only get used like three times a year <sighs> The economics of burlesque and bad money management, but also good money management because it's funneling because those big pictures of those big costumes on those big stages are what make me a good brand for you to go see in the tiny venues which support me on a regular basis.
1: We don't even Ta-da! talk about funneling. Funneling! Anything you'd like to plug, Loli Brown? Your face.
0: <laughs> Plugging the Patreon. Please do sign up to our Patreon-metronitron where you can catch all sorts of things.
1: Yes, and I'll definitely remember to upload things on a Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> yes,
0: please do sign up, but also don't forget to sign up to the House of Burles Patreon as well if you are looking to be associated more with tutorials and amazing mantras. You have mantras every week, is that right? Do we have a fuck that shit full for the week to make you feel good? It sounds amazing, and you get to spend time looking at rhinestones and how to make costumes. If you want to see actually how the economics of burlesque works in real time, the House of Burlesque Patreon is the way to do it. It's got amazing talks from amazing performers in the industry, including myself. <laughs> Indeed, uh, it's just another elongated insult.
1: <laughs> and if you'd rather have filth, more filth, hairy filth, filthy filth, foody filth, flappy filth. <laughs> Outdoor filth, <laughs> indoor filth, tech filth, neon filth, shower filth. Sign up to Lolo Browser only fans. <laughs> oh wow!
0: We should only do each other's promos. Only Maybe. ever. Ah, uh, as always, a huge massive thank you to Richie Ruru's for editing and putting this together, especially in this time where Tempest and myself come to the microphone very much in the face of. I'm fine. Are you fine? I'm fine. Cool. Let's try and have a conversation. Three hours later, there is a podcast and they put it in its hour long format for you to enjoy. So thank you, Rich, for being absolutely incredible editor and producer of this show. Yay. Yay. Do check out their podcast. They have a podcast uh, called I Mm -hmm. Might Be Wrong, all about music. So do check them out. I think their tags are I Might Be Wrong. UK.
1: Thank you to Rosie Voice as always for the jingle that you just can't seem to get out of your head. Check them out online along with their cabaret collective, Invisible Cabaret, which is all about cabaret and mental health. Very important in the current period.
0: Fantastic. And of course, every week we just have to thank. They want fun. They- Thank you to everyone who has signed up to our Patreon. It is really amazing and it is wonderful to see you there. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. And of course, massive thank you to you Botanicants for tuning in on a weekly basis and listening to Tempest and I
1: brain dribble in your general direction.
0: You're amazing.
1: Without you, we are nothing. Yes,
0: essentially without you, we're just still in our living rooms talking to no one so thank you that would be weird it's just
1: Lola and I reiterating each other's points constantly on our own
0: yeah we would just be having this on the phone to be fair oh no
1: I don't know if we would we don't like talking on the phone
0: we really don't we see enough of each other we do not need phone conversations in between (laughs) (laughs) voice notes only oh yeah nice controlled voice notes I'm (laughs) like (laughs) she'll listen to this when she wants to we're good (laughs) So thank you so much. We absolutely adore. And thank you to all of you who share and uh, support the podcast in all the ways you can. It means a lot to artists like
1: ourselves in times like this. So thank you. It does indeed. It makes the world of difference. So we genuinely appreciate all of you. Uh, Rich has just written Ranting at Rich with Rose and Brow. Hey. Mm. very cute. (laughs) We'll see you next Tuesday. See you next Tuesday. So you want to be a showgirl? A star of cabaret? of the
0: theatres leaves a hole in your heart and in your day. Well, here's two artists who miss last gigs performing and acting moronic. People who, when life gives them lemons just slice them up for a gin and tonic. They put the mock in mocktail the cock in cocktail let them show you how it's gin salt with tempest rose and low, low Now that I've gotten a taste of what my life used to be like, I'm like, oh, cool. I remember what determination feels like. <laughs> Tiring. Yeah. Exhausting and lonely. and lonely. Oh, yay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs>